Welcome to another episode of the Plant-Based Canada podcast. Join us as we talk to the experts to explore the field of nutritional sciences and how our food choices impact our health and the environment. My name is Stephanie Nishi, and today I am joined by Amy Symington to talk about her work as a plant-based educator and chef. Amy Symington is a nutrition professor, researcher, and plant-based chef at George Brown College in Toronto, Canada. In addition to having a master's in applied human nutrition with a focus on functional foods and their health benefits, Amy has over 20 years of experience in the food industry, including in restaurants, cafes, large quantity and catering, private events and galas, as well as volunteering in community kitchens. Amy is the Culinary Nutrition Program Coordinator at Gilda's Club Greater Toronto. She is the Culinary Specialist for Humane Society International Canada. She volunteers with the Toronto Vegetarian Food Bank as a chef and nutrition consultant and does recipe development and food writing for various publications in Toronto and worldwide. Amy believes in the evidence-based health and environmental benefits of plant-based diets and is the recent author of the Long Table Cookbook, Plant-Based Recipes for Optimal Health. She enjoys cooking, baking with her kids, running without her kids, scary movies, and eating really good nut cheese. Hi, Amy. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to speak with you today. To start things off, can you share with us a bit about your plant-based story? Specifically, what led you to becoming plant-based? Oh my goodness. So a few things. Um, it's usually, I mean, a lot of, it's probably similar to a lot of people's stories, um, you know, focusing on environmental reasons and health reasons and animal, you know, welfare reasons. Um, I started becoming plant-based probably about 17 years ago. Um, and uh, really it was just kind of out of convenience. My partner's been vegetarian his whole life. And I've always loved veggies and I've always cared about animals and never really was into, you know, burgers or anything like that. So it was kind of an easy transition for me. And then I started just doing my own research, reading, noticing some health benefits as I was eating more plant-based. My skin looked great. I had more energy. I actually had psoriasis in university, probably due to stress and drinking too much. (laughs) And, uh, And my psoriasis completely cleared. And then I read the book, uh, the Way We Eat, Why Our Food Choices Matter by Peter Singer and Jim Mason. Uh, and it kind of just shoved me in the right direction at that point in my life. Um, and then since then, just so many other things, health in particular. So my mother uh, was diagnosed with breast cancer in uh, 2008, right when I started culinary school. And, and I was already kind of going in the direction of nutrition and health sciences, But again, that kind of just shoved me more so in that direction, specifically cancer and chronic disease prevention and management. And the more you do reading and the more you do your research, you know the types of foods you should be consuming for chronic disease prevention and management. And so that just kind of sealed the deal for me. And then obviously all the other wonderful benefits um, in terms of ethics and, uh, and environmental benefits as well. And I mean, 
there's just so many, so many reasons, but that was kind of the starting point. And then about 10 years ago, I transitioned learning like a lot more about obviously the dairy industry and, and eggs as well. And yes, made the, made the change over from vegetarian to vegan just about over, over 10 years ago. And I haven't looked back. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like it's a very multifactorial reason for going about this. Thank you so much for sharing about your mother. That sounds like such a difficult, challenging thing, but thank you very much. You're welcome. Yeah, it was definitely a turning point kind of in my life that like, oh, and your, 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 you know, nutrition can make a significant or does have a significant impact in terms of your overall well-being. Yeah. And again, that's kind of why I'm doing what I'm doing. I, I was already kind of interested, but um, as I said, it kind of shoved me in the right direction at the right time in my life. Yeah. And I'm so sorry that you and your family had to go through that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I really do. Yeah. It's uh it was an eye eye opener thing. And I think that's oftentimes what happens with people um and, and diet change is they they don't really tend to change their their habits, their their eating habits in particular until it's something that is um, you know, right in their face and they need they need to they need to make two changes to, to overall to make that make you know make them feel better make them make them you know healthier you know that sort of thing so exactly and that was definitely not different for us I, I feel like that's something that many people can relate to and it's one of the reasons why we want to bring more focus to plant-based dietary patterns in terms of their health benefits and just what the evidence says in terms of how we can prevent or manage um, so that's one of the reasons that we do this. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I love it. And I'm here for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have many different titles and accomplishments. And one of them is that you're a professor at George Brown College within the Center for Hospitality and Culinary Arts, teaching nutrition, I believe, to mostly students who want to become chefs. Yeah. So I work for actually three different departments at George Brown. I worked, work for the culinary department uh, for the culinary management nutrition program in particular. I do curriculum development and, and teach. And then I also work for the gen ed department teaching nutrition courses, just general electives. And then once in a while, I'll work for the nursing department, uh, again, teaching nutrition sciences, but uh, to PSW, so personal support workers. But my heart lies with the culinary <laughs> department, um, especially the culinary management nutrition uh, program, because that is the program that I took when I went to George Brown College back in 2008, 2010. <laughs> Uh, and so obviously it's really wonderful. I love my students. I always love, I've always loved teaching and it's really cool because they're all like, it's all, we're all like-minded individuals. So oftentimes after the fact, after they've graduated, I find, I have so many colleagues <laughs> uh, and so many people to work with, but I, yeah, I just absolutely love, love the combination of uh, the nutritional sciences and then the practical application of it to so the culinary arts. And I find that there's a huge gap in the, in the healthcare system in particular with the practical application of the advice that is given and making it tasty and accessible and fun, uh, but still, uh, you know, still really good for you. And so it, that's kind of my passion. And I love, I love, 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 I mean, I'm biased, but I love George Brown College. They're they're, they're cutting edge in terms of what they do. And there's a few courses that I've developed myself within the nutrition program that, uh, that focuses solely on plant plants as it should. (laughs) George Brown, the culinary program is also near and dear to me as well. So (laughs) I appreciate it too, but it sounds like 
within your work with them, you've reached not only the chef students, but also PSWs, the nurses, as you mentioned, you reach a lot of people that are implementing or working in the healthcare field and can actually put these things into practice. Could you tell us a little bit more about the aims of these programs and what the, at the end of the program, what you hope that these students do when they go out into the workforce? That is a great question. So uh, especially with the PSWs, I would say oftentimes, and, and culinary students as well too, you are the frontline workers. You're there, you're interacting with your clients um, face-to-face and they'll have lots of questions for you. And it's very important to, to provide them with good information, good, well-researched information as to what they should be doing. Obviously with some circumstances, we don't, we don't advise them to, you know, give nutrition consultations or that sort of thing. We leave that to, you know, um, registered dietitians, doctors, oncologists, that sort of stuff, but you can guide them in the right direction. We actually talk a lot about Canada's food guide, uh, especially the new one uh, that focuses a lot on plant-based foods, which is great for chronic disease prevention and management. But I always say at the end, actually at the end of every class, at the end of every semester, I'll do a little spiel about how they are now nutrition ambassadors and they need to go off into the world and uh, and spread their nutrition knowledge so that we can reduce chronic disease in, in Canada. Um, and the one program I, I uh, or the one course that I teach, it's a large quantity cooking for nutritional issues course where we actually integrate some recipe development for cancer survivors. So I'll bring in, I also work at Gilda's Club Greater Toronto as their culinary nutrition program coordinator. And we'll bring in uh, some of, you know, some people who've actually been touched by cancer, some of the board members, some of the, the, the executives come in and then we uh, get the students to come up with recipes that are good for kind of an anti-cancer diet. And then we actually serve those meals to, to people who are going through cancer. Obviously this is pre-COVID times, but, uh, but a lot of fun. And it's just, again, about the practical application of, of nutrition. So we know the types of foods we should be focusing on. It's out there. It's, it's not, you know, it's not rocket science. It's not brand new information. We know what we should be focusing on and that's fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, legumes, whole grains, and good quality plant-based protein. And, um, and taking that and making it super tasty using things like ginger, garlic, fresh herbs, vinegars, you know, all the, all the foods that has a lot of, you know, oomph of flavor without added unhealthy fats, salt, and sugar. And so, yeah. And then they taste test the people at Gilda's and the, the cancer survivors will taste test and then we'll select a winner. And then we, and then we, we share it with the members at Gilda's. So that's just kind of one example of, uh, of how what they do makes an impact. And then upon graduation, I really it really depends on what their vision is. Um, some go off to become registered dietitians, some do private chefing where they'll you know create meal plans for people. Some are actually integrating nutrition and, and personal training where they will actually plan meals and then also plan workouts um, with their clients. Um, PSWs obviously go off to, to work in many different care, uh, many different fields, hospitals, you know, private homes, that sort of thing. And then when I teach for the gen ed department, I'm, I'm really, I really, it's a mixed bag. So it's just, you know, whoever, sometimes I'll get dentists, you know, dental students, business students, geriatric students. So it's just really, and as you know, because you're in, you're in the field, it can touch anybody. Good nutrition can touch and help anybody in any aspect of their life. And it's really important information for people to have. So really how they, you know, how they go off at the end of the, at the end of the day, at the end of the course is really up to them. And uh, I always say the world is their oyster, so to speak. It's just really what they, what they want, how they want to take that information and use it or apply it in their lives is, is really up to them. 
That's such a powerful message. And it sounds like you reach such a broad range of people. That's fantastic. Thank you. It's fun. It's fun. Yeah. It keeps you, keeps you on your toes. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> One of the things that could potentially keep you on your toes and other people in the field as well is since traditionally there's been a focus on animal protein sources as the center of the plate in culinary practice. And even when people make their meals at home, have you felt that there's been any barriers or pushback or conversely, any specific facilitators for plant-based practices in the culinary arts? That's a great question. I just did. So I also work for Humane Society International Canada as their culinary specialist. And so I do workshops, demonstrations, help with recipe and menu development for for different uh, food operations, large and small, uh, basically just trying to get more plant-based options on their menu. You know, that's exactly what we what we did um, or what we have done in the past for, for, for those operations is they struggle sometimes with the center of the plate options. And so my, my job essentially is to uh, come up with like fun recipes or, or, or menu options that people will purchase and, and consume and, and make, and making them plant-based and, and still like, you know, tasty and satiating and stick to your ribs and satisfying all of the things that people tend to find, you know, animal-based center of the plate options. But it is a question oftentimes, like even today, I mean, it's getting better and better, but even today it's, oh, you're a plant-based chef, like, or you're vegan or, you know, what do you eat? And it's like, well, what don't you eat? Like there's just so many options and there's so many ways that you can utilize things like pulses and um, herbs and spices. And it's just, it's incredible the things that you can make. And I always, I always joke that I can veganize anything. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, so that's just one one example, but um, I think my everyday like push. I'm trying to think of anything like any pushback. I honestly have been so well supported. Even when I was in culinary school, my chef was the best. He um, it, the culinary management nutrition program, not exclusively vegan, but he was so supportive. I wanted to make every meal that we had or every recipe that we had, and I wanted to like veganize it. And he was there for it. He let me do it. I had to bring in stuff of my own, use some of the things from, from school, but he would let me do that. So he was so supportive. You know, the people I work with, my program coordinator at George Brown College, um, the various chairs I've had over the years have been super supportive. A lot of them are nutrition focused. So I think it's just like inevitable. I've worked with the University Health Network before and, you know, doing culinary demonstrations for them. And again, all plant-based and the people I'm working with aren't necessarily plant-based, but they're, they're supportive of it. I'm trying to think of a time when I, <laughs> I mean, I, I've just been, I think I've just been really lucky. I mean, I, I do get heckled sometimes as the, the like token plant-based chef, but, um, but I, it's nothing I can't handle. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like there's been a lot of champions of it, whether or not they themselves are plant-based, but yeah. it also shows to your effect too, because it sounds like you've put in a lot of effort to make it possible and make it easily feasible for others to be like, okay, I support this. So I feel like there's two sides to this. Putting in that little extra effort does go the mile. Thank you. And I, f- I find too, like the approach you take is also very important. If you're, this is my approach and there's obviously so many different approaches, but is, is, um, just a lot more uh, like open-minded and non-judgmental and, and really just trying to 
go where the science leads us and, and, and providing that information with people as opposed to saying, you know, you should never eat this or you should never eat that and judging or projecting to others that they need to do that as well or making people feel bad about their food choices. I'm not, I'm not here for that. It's nice to like educate and guide people in the, the nutritionally sound direction, the environmentally sound direction, and obviously the ethically sound direction. But I like to meet people where they're at as opposed to, you know, preach at them. That's just not my, it's just not my method. Thankfully, there's a whole range of methods. People, you know, you have your, your hardcore activists, which is amazing and, and necessary. And then people like myself, who try to infiltrate or do infiltrate larger organizations and try and make change from, from, from the inside, again, using, using evidence. But thank you. Thank you for noting that. No, of course. <laughs> and it sounds like your approach is going more from the positive side. So looking at all the positive effects as opposed to making people feel guilty, which sometimes it is a strategy, but sometimes I feel that isn't always effective. Speaking of positive things that you've been working on at George Brown, you have also been leading a research project um, that has three overarching components, um, which include development of a cancer nutrition guide, as well as research relating to your nutrition programming at Gilda's Club Toronto, which you've mentioned briefly, but it'd be great to hear more about as mm-hmm. well as creation of a cookbook. And I'm so curious to learn more about your recipe development process. But first, uh, it'd be great to hear more about the work that you've done with Gilda's Club. And just to definitely. let our listeners know a little bit what this is. It's a nonprofit organization whose mis- mission is, and I'm quoting this from their website, dedicated to ensuring that all people impacted by cancer are empowered by knowledge, strengthened by action and sustained by the community. And given that nearly one in two Canadians develop cancer during their lifetime, and this is according to the Canadian Cancer Society, many people are directly and indirectly affected. And could you tell us about your work with Gilda's Club and in supporting individuals affected by cancer? And thank you again for sharing your personal story in this as well, Nick. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for that. Yeah, I would love to talk about Gilda's all day long. <laughs> so I'm the culinary um, culinary nutrition program coordinator. So pre-COVID days, we would run um, supper clubs, which uh, would run every Tuesday and Thursday night, where myself and my team of volunteers would cook health-promoting meals for the members and their family members. And we would, again, focus on, again, the research related to what to consume for chronic disease prevention and management, specifically um, cancer nutrition. And so, yeah, we'd get about 75 or we'd feed about 75 to 100 people every week. And it's it's just one of it was one of our most popular programs when there's food involved. People are just very into it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and you just, at first we got a little bit of pushback, just, you know, where's my jokingly, where's my steak? Where's my, my burgers? Where's my pizza? Cause that was what was fed before to them. And so it really just, we just made the food taste really good and, and irresistible and everybody just was on board. And then in addition to that, I also run uh, nutrition showcases where I will talk about a cancer nutrition related topic. So things like fatigue or dry mouth or constipation or, you know, moods or you know what to consume during treatment um i mean there's so much in relation to cancer nutrition you can speak about you know like depression mental like mental health all that stuff we talk we talk about that and obviously nutrition uh, directly affects that so we would run showcases where i would talk about the topic things you can do things you can consume things you might want to avoid 
And then, um, and then we would practically apply it. I would do a little culinary demonstration with usually three recipes and then everybody would sample them, which was wonderful. So that was again, pre-COVID days. Now we've pivoted and we're doing all the programming virtually. So we still do the, the nutrition showcases um, and the recordings are there, the recipes are there so people can make them at home or have their loved ones make them for them. Um, Cause oftentimes if you're going through treatment you don't want to necessarily cook for yourself. Yeah, and so that's basically a little bit what, about what I do. And there was a, I have a partnership with Gilda's uh, Club Greater Toronto, um, George Brown College and myself. Um, I received a Shirk grant in uh, 2016 where I was asked to, or I, I applied to essentially make a community guide for cancer nutrition. And that's, and that's what we've done. Uh, we're closing, we're getting in the end of the, the, the nutrition project. So it will be closing up uh, or finishing up uh, March, 2022. So what we've come up with, and you're right that there's three, um, kind of three components of it. And the first one is the community guide to cancer nutrition that talks about what to consume for cancer prevention during treatment. And then to, um, to prevent recurrence. Um, and we talk about individual foods and provide the research related to that. And then also at the very bottom of the guide, there's advice in terms of physical activity to do again, to prevent cancer during treatment and then to prevent recurrence. And uh, as well as any of the nutrition showcases that I do, all the tips and tricks, again, how to you know prevent or help with nausea, all the stuff that happens uh, during cancer treatment or you know you may encounter after you've had a, a cancer diagnosis. And so again, the tips and tricks in terms of what to consume, what to avoid, and the recipes that go along with it. Um, so that's the first, that's the very first part of the project, which we love and it's free. It's online. If you go to the guildasclubtoronto.org website under resources, you'll see a community guide to cancer nutrition. It is a downloadable PDF. You can download it, <laughs> share it far and wide. It is free and it is evidence-based, heavily researched again, related in relation to dietary patterns and, and the advice from, from sources like the, the world cancer research fund, that sort of stuff. So it's all again, evidence-based. And, uh, and then the second component is, uh, the practical application of all that, all that information, which is the cookbook. So I had an amazing team, uh, help me with the recipe development, and, uh, and that amazing team help with the food styling and the photography. And then obviously uh, we went with a publisher, Douglas and McIntyre, which have been, they've been amazing, absolutely amazing in terms of helping with the writing component and then the, the compiling of it. Um, and I, it is better than anything I could have actually imagined in my mind. You know, when you go on, you start with projects and you have this, this gold star, uh, mm -hmm. you know, version in your, in your, and then you're like, okay, well, it didn't exactly go, you know, and it turns out something completely different, maybe not necessarily exactly how you wanted it, but it's still good. But this turned out better than anything I could have ever dreamed. <laughs> and I mean, I mean, I'm biased, but I'm so happy with the, the, um, the outcome. So it's uh, called the long table cookbook, plant-based recipes for optimal health. And that's a long table <laughs> there. Actually, it's this photo shoot was taken just outside of Gilda's outside with um, some of the members. So we actually sat down and had a, had, had a meal at a long table and my wonderful photographer, uh, Darren Kemper and his team helped with the photography food. I, anyways, I can't even, I can't even begin to talk about how wonderful my team is. The first component of it just talks about um, what to consume again for chronic disease prevention and management in general. So heart disease, obesity, type two diabetes and, and cancer. And then uh, the second component kind of is like a how-to guide, how to run your own supper club program. So if you wanted to run or implement a program like we did at Gilda's, 
how you would do it. And you can do it in any sort of large operational setting. So it could be in hospitals, you know, it could be in universities, it could be in wherever you're making large amounts of food. And the good thing about the recipes in the book, there's um, servings for six, but there's also servings for 24. So, um, and they're scalable too. So you can up them or, you know, divide them if needed. Yeah. And then we've got 75 plant-based recipes in there. Some of them are, are mine. Some of them are actually my students from George Brown College who helped with the recipe development. And then also I mentioned in my one course, I have them come up with recipes that could potentially be used at Gilda's. Well, they got one year we did it where they came up with recipes that would potentially be used in the cookbook. And so I've got about 15 recipes from my students and they're incredible. Yeah. And I'm just so happy with how how it turned out and the information coupled with um, the photography and obviously I'm biased, but the food is is super um, tasty and satiating. And yeah, you wouldn't even think like, oh, it's vegan, you know, like the, the, <laughs> the whole idea and the whole like connotations that sometimes go along with plant-based foods. It's just not there. It's just good, wholesome, hearty food that um, is worth sharing. And that's another thing, another kind of theme throughout the book is um, the idea of sitting down together and the social, emotional and nutritional benefits of that. And that's kind of what we're trying to recreate uh, because that's what we did at Gilda's Club. We would all sit down together at long tables and eat these delicious meals that we, that we you know, that we made with love. And and it was it was obviously nutritionally beneficial, but like the the social outcomes and the emotional outcomes that came afterwards, it was just incredible. And as I said, it's one of our favorite programs. So it's hard being, you know, being away from everybody due to COVID times, but hopefully at some point, we will, you know, reconnect. So that's the second second part. And then the third part <laughs> is the research we did at Gilda's in relation to the programming that we that we ran, the Supper Club program in particular, to see basically is our Supper Club program and our nutrition showcases providing social, emotional, and nutritional support to our members. And spoiler, it is. <laughs> <laughs> it is the reason we found out that it is. And so right now we're just kind of um, putting the... the um, the details and the data together and, uh, and writing the, the qualitative and quantitative data that we've collected. And then we'll be shopping that around, hopefully getting it published this year or next. So yeah, that's it. Three components. Thank you so much for asking. That was a long winded answer to your question, <laughs> but uh, I'm obviously quite passionate about my work at Gilda's as you can tell. <laughs> it shines through. And I'm going to circle back to a couple of the things that you mentioned. But first off, I just want to let our listeners know that on the cover of your cookbook, there's this beautiful uh, photo of a wooden table with all these plant-based dishes on it and people reaching across and sharing food together. Um, You can only see their hands, but I'm (laughs) guessing that's one of the shared dinners at Gilda's Club that you mentioned. um, That Mm -hmm, the photographer put. And I just wanted to highlight, you mentioned this, but there's two key, key and unique components that I really appreciate about this project. And you've mentioned this multiple times throughout your discussion, but I personally really appreciate when resources are evidence-based and this is something that you yourself promote, um, both within your work and your research, and you're even integrating that throughout all these different projects, it sounds like making sure that the recipes and the cookbook and leads to this social, emotional well-being. And you've been analyzing that as well to assess to see, okay, what's actually happening here? And then I also appreciate, and I don't think you mentioned this, but all of your author proceeds from the sale of this cookbook go to Gilded's Club. 
Um, so that is such a sweet and generous offer. So I just wanted to let listeners know about that as well. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I joke, I jokingly say, I don't mind promoting it because I don't make a dime off of it. So <laughs> I, I like shamelessly promote it because again, all of the, yeah, all of the author proceeds are donated to um, Gilda's Club. And again, there's the social, emotional and nutritional support that they provide to people going through cancer. Because if you become a, a Gilda's member, you, you know that every program is free. Everything's free. Um, and obviously there's so many different programs. Um, I, I focus on nutrition and, and food, but there are so many different programs that you can um, access. So they do wellness group meetings, obviously, and they specify it sometimes with different types of cancer or different age groups. Um, they have caretaker groups, they have bereavement programs, they have kids groups, uh, they, they run camps two times a year for kids who they themselves maybe have gone through cancer or a family member has gone through cancer. Anyways, all of the money goes to, to them. So it's, I mean, I'm very proud of the outcome. I feel like it's a good coffee table book. It's beautiful. It also is information dense and also has great recipes, but um, it's also going to a good cause too. Thank you for bringing that up. Of course. And I feel like you bring up a really important point about nutrition. It also has cognitive mental health associations with it. And that's actually something that we're going to be doing an episode on in the future. So stay tuned for that. Amazing. Yeah. All connected as if, if you're following any of it these days, any of the nutrition research, you know, that it's all connected and it's like, what's good for the, the neck down is also, Hey, good for the neck up. <laughs> exactly. And it's one of the main things that everybody partakes in on a regular basis. So it affects each of us. So it's something that we can all talk about and discuss and have further questions about as well. Mm -hmm, totally. <laughs> I do want to circle back to ask more about your cookbook and recipe development. You mentioned that you developed some of the recipes, well, a majority of the recipes within the cookbook, yeah. but then you also had your students develop recipes. Um, and what are some of the key factors to consider when developing a recipe, in particular, a plant-based recipe? Yeah. Oh, great questions. Okay. So it was so much fun. I, as I said, I always, I love my students <laughs> and they become colleagues after, uh, and, and I've made lifelong friends, uh, from the crew that I, I, um, handpicked for this project, uh, that were previous students of mine. Um, incredible women, incredible set of women, group of women. Um, and so, yeah, so some of the recipes were mine, uh, the majority, and then there was about 15 recipes that were developed by the students. So again, I integrated into the curriculum where my students came out, had to come up with a recipe that was good for an anti-cancer diet. They made it for myself and for people at Gilda's. And then we decided which ones, you know, would be a good fit for the cookbook. And so that was a lot of fun. So really, they, we just gave them criteria. Uh, here's, you know, what we're looking for. We're focusing on fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, legumes, whole grains, and good quality plant-based protein, and then specific foods. So, I mean, you, you can get into the details. You can go into the, go into the guide uh, and, and check it out. But, you know, things like cruciferous vegetables, orange vegetables, leafy greens, you know, omega-3s, like hemp seeds, walnuts, chia seeds, it's a long laundry list of foods that you should be consuming regularly. But um, did I say red vegetables? That's another one too. Probiotics, prebiotics. It's just, there's so many things and it's, you know, it's not, there's not one superfood or one uh, magic bullet or magic silver bullet that's going to, you know, cure cancer. Obviously, as we know, it's, it's, you really need to be focusing on a wide variety of different things. And they, 
those things happen to be from the plant-based kingdom. So obviously we gave them that to start with, and then they decided whether they were going to do an appetizer, a main or a dessert. And, uh, and then they just, they just rolled with it. I really just, a lot of them, a lot of them developed recipes that maybe were something that they like to eat as kids. So there was a lot of comfort food options, which is great for a chronic disease prevention and management book. Cause if you're not feeling that great, what do you want? You want comfort food, right? So mm-hmm. that was kind of a nice spin. And then it was also, it was just, there was a lot of um, culturally diverse recipes, which was awesome as well. Yeah. So many, so many great options. Uh, I'm sad that we could, there were so many that we wanted to include, but we couldn't. Yeah. And then my own recipe development process. So again, I always start with the black box, the ingredients that you want to be focusing on the most and you want to be getting in your diet the most. And then, you know, we're talking about seasonality, the way I've organized the cookbook. It's, um, it's not, you know, your traditional way where you're doing appetizers, mains, desserts, salads. It's, um, it's organized by menus. So, um, for example, so Amy is just going to go through her cookbook and bring up an example for us. So if there's anything, we can just describe it to our listeners as we go. Sure. Yeah. So in terms of like how it's organized, so it's organized by menus as opposed to like appetizers, mains and desserts. So um, for example, feasts for holiday gatherings, and then there's a bunch of recipes there. So things like my artichoke and oyster mushroom chowder with sweet potato or you know, butterscotch uh, squash coffee cake, cinnamon bun cookies, um, Waldorf salad with pomegranates and pistachios, pot pies, three ways. So that's again, you know, things you would eat at holiday gatherings. Comfort classics is another one. There's picnic basket and barbecue favorites, you know, warming meals for cold days, uh, healthy takeout twists, dinner party showstoppers, and then recipes for everyday celebrations. And within each of those menus, there are recipes for appetizers, mains, desserts, usually a drink or a beverage or two. Again, focusing on the foods we want to be focusing on for chronic disease prevention and management. And the way I say, anytime I say that, I'm like, oh, the foods you should be focusing on. It sounds so boring and dull, but it's not. There's just so many foods. And like, thankfully with the plant-based kingdom, everything's bright and beautiful, right? If you're focusing, especially on fruits and vegetables, it's all so bright and beautiful and it's so versatile and there's so many things you can do. But yeah, that's kind of was my process a little bit. So thinking about kind of seasonality, again, the foods we should be consuming more of, um, foods that I enjoyed as a, as a kid, things that I thought would be useful for people going through, um, especially cancer treatment. So there's one recipe in particular, it's called the ultimate chocolate protein powder, Mm. where we actually have a protein powder that you can just add to smoothies. So you don't have to be purchasing those super expensive uber processed protein powders. It's really just coming from whole foods, the protein, it actually works out to be about 18 grams of protein per one cup of smoothie. So stuff like that, just kind of keeping in mind, you know, people again are going through cancer treatment or having lots of doctor's appointments or things like that. What are some things that they can take with them on the go? Um, you know, if they're not feeling great again, what can they consume for nausea? That sort of stuff. Like for example, there's, um, a mint ginger slushy, that would, that's really nice and like soothing. Oftentimes, again, if you have nausea or if your, your mouth hurts too, sometimes you get mouth sores after treatment. Um, having like cold, something cold is, is always nice or, you know, maybe it's not, it just depends on the person. Um, and there's lots of different options. Just lots of period, there's some period soups in there too. Again, if people aren't feeling 
uh, all that great. And really just focusing on making sure that every mouthful matters. So making sure that the food is really nutrient dense and then not just not, not necessarily talking about calories, but nutrients. Right. Yeah. And that's, and then just being thinking about like what's fun and what people like and what's trendy right now, that sort of stuff. I mean, I don't generally focus on the, the food fads and the food trends, but, um, for example, there's a, there's a faux wrap in here. So, um, you know, the Vietnamese noodle soup, we've kind of taken that and put it into a wrap and it's so good, but yeah, that, I guess that's kind of, I hope that answers your question in terms of recipe development process. Um, but really I just, I started with the black box and then, and then just pare it down and pare it down and pare it down from there. And you're making me hungry already. (laughs) (laughs) Yay! I really like the quote that you have that every mouthful matters. And you mentioned about taking comfort foods and making them nutritious. When trying to make a recipe more nutritious for chronic disease prevention or just overall health, um, do you have any recommendations for how to go about doing that? um, For example, are there easy substitutions or go-tos, especially for someone who feels that they don't have a lot of time to make home cooked meals or if they're just not as comfortable in the kitchen. Yeah. So, I mean, there's so many foods that you really should be focusing on. So yeah. So in terms of substitutions, I'm trying to think here, like it's really more about what you start with. So uh, I'm trying to think of a recipe that would be a good example. Okay. So like basic mac and cheese, Mm -hmm. right? If you're using usually a basic mac and cheese, white pasta, lots of butter, lots of cheese. And that's basically, you know, that's it. Sometimes there's garlic, sometimes there's other toppings in there. And um, so utilizing things like instead utilizing things like, you know, sunflower seeds or cashews with roasted squash or roasted carrots, nutritional yeast uh, to give that like nutty, cheesy flavor. Yeah. Just kind of coming up with alternative recipes to the comfort classics and still like simulating that mouthfeel, that taste, but then you're also getting all the benefits of, you know, orange vegetables. And that might not be necessarily commonsensical to everyone or just second nature to everyone. So, I mean, my book would help, but there's other, there's so many other great vegan cookbooks out there too, that do a similar thing, whole focusing on whole plant-based foods as much as possible, obviously. But it's, it's a tricky question because there's just so many tips and tricks that I could, I could provide. Um, uh, if we're talking about ground beef, for example, I like to utilize things like lentils, mushrooms, uh, tempeh, quinoa, things that still have, have a similar mouthfeel to, to ground beef. And then utilizing spices like cumin, coriander, um, soy sauce you know, and then, and then sauteing that out with onions and garlic and, and making, you know, a base of like a shepherd's pie, utilizing that with, you know, green peas and carrots and that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, it just really depends on what you're looking for in terms of like substituting, you know, heavy creams, you can make your own, you know, your own nut creams, your own seed creams, um, your own hemp seed creams. Like there's just so many different things that you can, you can substitute for for cream and milk, like it's just crazy. Um, milks in particular, there's so many plant-based milks out there, right? Mm-hmm. Cheeses, we are just lucky to be alive where we are right now, like when we are right now, because there's so many different cheese options. And not, I mean, some of them are processed. There are some whole foods, and you can obviously make your own as well. In the book, there's um, I have a, a, a queso recipe that I absolutely love that utilizes potatoes and carrots along with roasted garlic and roasted jalapenos. And it's like you just wouldn't even know that it's not 
queso, like regular cheese queso. It's just <laughs> trying to simulate those flavors, utilizing again, things like herbs, spices, fresh herbs, uh, vinegars, garlic, ginger, foods that are really flavorful that have a lot of oomph without again, the added salt, sugar, and unhealthy fats. Yeah. I think it just really, it's a hard question to answer because I'm used to being hyper-focused. So if you're like, I have this recipe, Amy, <laughs> how would I, how would I substitute? Um, you know, how would I make this healthier? How would I make this, um, better for people, but really just focusing again on the high fiber foods, um, minimizing, you know, saturated fat, obviously. Um, and, and when you're excluding animal-based foods, you really can't go wrong. As long as you're focusing on the whole foods, you can't really go wrong. And then again, focusing on food, on things that are flavorful, that are going to give an oomph of flavor. So for example, if you're making again, without a lack of a better um, example, if you got a big pot of chili, <laughs> a big pot of veggie chili, you're putting all sorts of spices in there. Right. And then at the very end, you're throwing in all the greens that you can fit in there, right? You're wilting all the greens you can fit in there. And then you're, you know, zesting and juicing one or two limes um, at the very end, which again, helps to give an oomph of flavor and accentuate the flavors that are already in that big pot of chili. And you're adding all those greens, which you won't even notice because um, they've all wilted, right? And then the beans obviously are really high in fiber and good for your heart and full of folate and et cetera, iron, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That vitamin C is going to help with the bioavailability of the, the iron that's present, you know, all those sort of things. Um, so there's all sorts of tips and tricks that I could provide, but um, there, there, there are a few for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for sharing. And that chili that you described sounds like such a delicious fall or winter day, like cozy up and have your bowl of chili type there of you go. I'm glad You can be like chili, come on. No, no, it's good. You can make it, you can make it good. There's, there's so many different variations of, of chili too, right? And I think just as you were describing, there's so many different variations of perhaps recipes that you want to think would be plant-based, but that can be um, relatively easily transformed into being plant-based. Totally. Sometimes it does take a little bit of creativity or ingenuity, mm -hmm. but there are mm -hmm. options out there, especially with all the products and different foods available on the market today. But often it's going back to those tried and true fresh produce, lentils, nuts, and other totally. I couldn't agree more. One, one recipe comes into mind that I make for my family all the time, which is a tempeh bolognese. So I literally mm. just take tempeh, crumble it, saute some diced onions with garlic, and then add things like basil, oregano, again, cumin, coriander, throw in the tempeh, saute that out, put a little bit of, you know, soy sauce or tamari to get that deep umami flavor along with those spices and things. And then I'll add in whatever else I want for the rest of the pasta too. So peppers or, you know, whatever I happen to have on hand, sometimes we'll throw in artichokes, some olives, and then um, tomato sauce, obviously. And then, you know, whatever pasta you like, put it over, put the sauce over the pasta, Bob's your uncle, sprinkle a little nutritional yeast on top and you're good to go. That's one of my favorite fast go-to recipes. That's really high in, um, high in fiber because you can add whatever veggies you have. Right. But then also still simulates that kind of ground beef texture. I mean, that's, I, I grew up on spaghetti. Like my dad, my dad had his, uh, his standard recipes that he liked to make and spaghetti was one of them. So just, I guess it's just comfort food to me, but you got to have those ones in your kind of your back pocket, the ones that you love that are easy to make and, and take, you know, minimal effort, minimal prep and minimal cleanup. Cause like 
who has time to make these crazy, you know, four course meals every day? Nobody, right? So think about the ones that you love. So stuff like that. The, the tempeh bolognese is a good one that I recommend. Tacos is another good one. Um, bowls, if you want to prep ahead, you can, you know, roast a bunch of vegetables on Sunday and then just have, and cook some grains and then just have things to like throw together, put together a quick little dressing, or you could even put the dressing together at the beginning of the week too. And then you just have stuff to like assemble um, to make it quick and easy. Yeah. I feel like that really helps like having everything in the fridge ready to go so Mm. that you can just pull it out, especially if it's after a long day, you're just like, okay, good to go. Yeah. Um, Yeah. As opposed to, as opposed to, yeah, you, you're making healthy food, the default, it's already there in your fridge, use it (laughs) instead of picking up the phone and calling for takeout. (laughs) Exactly. And you mentioned that everybody may have their own types of comfort foods and previously you noted that in your cookbook, you also brought in very diverse recipes as well, in addition to having recipes that are easy, affordable, um, and delicious. So can you speak a little bit more towards that? Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm trying to think of some exact examples, but there's some really, really good ones. Um, Personally, uh, I always try to make things accessible and affordable. I always think of, and, and, and nothing crazy, no weird ingredients. I think the weirdest ingredient in the cookbook is like um, nutritional yeast. So I always think of my dad in Southwestern Ontario going grocery shopping in his very small, limited grocery store, and he's able to get everything he needs, right? Um, yeah, and again, just making good food accessible, not again, using overly processed ingredients which t- or, or products which tend to be expensive as well. So you're using things like lentils and chickpeas and flour. Um, and of course you can use seasonal uh, vegetables and things like that, which tend to be a little bit more cost-effective. So I definitely took that into consideration. I mean, there are some items that probably are a little more uh, expensive things like, you know, pomegranates, there's pomegranate seeds in one of the bowls and, but that stuff you can just omit or you can, or you could use something else that's maybe a little bit more accessible or affordable. In particular, one of my favorite recipes that one of my students came up with that I absolutely love, and I want to get the exact name correct. (laughs) And just while you're looking for that, I also just wanted to highlight how Um, You've mentioned the use of herbs and spices to give flavor to these dishes. And one of the aspects that I often hear in practice is plant-based. It's not flavorful. It has no taste to it. But that's one thing that I want to challenge people to think about using herbs and lemon or lime juice or um, other spices as well. And to experiment with them and try them out. Maybe there's one that you haven't tried before that will really pique your interest and will yeah, give I think that that's much really, flavor. I think that's great. I think that's a really great piece of information that people could take home. And, and two, like if you're following a recipe and then you taste it and you're like, ah, oh, this is not what I wanted, or this is not how I expected it to taste, or it's not as good as I, I thought it was going to be, then stop. Don't, don't give up and just say, well, this recipe is terrible. See other ways you could fix it. Does it need more acid? Does it need more like umami flavor? Does it need more sweetness? What, how can you balance it out? How can you make it better? So fresh herbs in particular, always a great addition. So if it's like a bowl or again, or a chili, you know, like fresh cilantro or fresh, fresh basil will help give an oomph of flavor. Um, you want to reach for the salt shaker at the very end, at the very, the very last, but um, think about other ways you can, you can enhance flavor. If it's acid, do you want to add like lemon or lime or, or a vinegar? 
you know, how, how can you give an oomph of flavor? What are some ways you can do that without, again, reaching for the salt shaker? And sometimes it does, sometimes it ends up being salt that is needed and that's okay because you're adding it in your control of it, right? Mm-hmm. So I did find the recipe. Uh, it is um, bean and squash soup with uh, kamut dumplings. Uh, and it sounds so simple, but it is, and it's such an easy recipe and it's just so satiating and stick to your ribs. And one of my students, her name is Janica. She, she submitted it and I just love it so much. And then there's another one too, okra and oyster mushroom gumbo with red and white kidney beans, which is another one of my faves. Um, there's a Moroccan uh, chickpea cauliflower power bowl that was submitted by another anyways there yeah it's not just all um (laughs) it's not just all uh you know shepherd's pies and mac and cheeses which which is kind of what I grew up grew up with (laughs) uh that's you know been veganized uh there's definitely some diversity which is so nice no that's great I may not know this but could you describe what a kamut dumpling is is oh yeah for sure it's just like yeah, it's just like, a, if you've ever had like, um, or ever heard of like chicken and dumplings or like mm-hmm. a chicken and dumpling stew, it's just like little, little tiny dumplings that you make out of flour, essentially flour, usually salt and, and sometimes, you know, oil or, or spices, it just goes right into the broth and then it cooks in the broth and there's just these little tiny delicious dumplings. These, these dumplings, in, there's so many different types of dumplings, right? These ones in mm-hmm. particular aren't, aren't stuffed, right? They're just, again, just little kind of almost like gnocchi, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's, and that's that type of dumpling, but of course there's all sorts of different other types of dumplings, super yummy though. And, and the, the dumplings probably are the, the most complicated part of the, the recipe. And if you didn't want to do that, I've made the, I've made it many times without the, the dumplings. And it's so again, super satisfying and, uh, and comforting a good, a good fall, a good fall recipe. <laughs> Sounds delicious. I'm already inspired to get into the kitchen and start <laughs> cooking after this. Yay! <laughs> um, I was wondering, are there any other points or plant-based related evidence that relates to what we've discussed to today, but that we haven't touched upon that you would like our listeners to hear? Hmm. Oh, that's a great question. Don't stress yourself out when you're thinking about eating health, healthy and, and, and overthinking it or when you're in the kitchen. Yeah. Just keep it simple. Keep it simple. Uh, focus again, focusing on the whole plant-based foods as much as possible. If you do want to use the convenient food, convenience foods every once in a while, that's totally fine. You can obviously accentuate it with whole plant-based foods, but yeah, don't beat yourself up. I mean, I always say in terms of transitioning to a whole plant-based foods diet, you want to come up with, you know, three or four recipes that you love, take those, veganize them and, and use those as your, you know, in, use those in your weekly rotation because you know that you're going to enjoy them. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's a process. It's not necessarily going to happen overnight unless you're, unless you're one of those people who just do things like that cold, cold Turkey to transition to a vegan diet, or even just transition to a healthier diet. It's not something that's going to be, you know, it's going to happen overnight. Small steps will, you know, make, you know, long lasting changes in your, in your, in your overall health. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Keep it simple. Don't beat yourself up. <laughs> <laughs> Give yourself grace. It sounds like. Exactly. Um, and exactly. where can people find you? Oh yeah. Um, so I am, uh, I'm on all the social media. <laughs> so if you'd like to follow me on Instagram, I actually, I'm at personal, my personal page is at Amelia Eats. So A-M-E-L-I-A-E-A-T-S. 
Amelia Eats. And then my, uh, my cookbook Instagram is at the long table cookbook. And then on Twitter, I'm just at Amy Symington. Uh, and I also have a Facebook page, which is just Amy Symington. So you can follow me there. And then, you know, if you, if you're interested in purchasing a copy of the book, it's available pretty much where all books are sold. Uh, I highly recommend supporting your, your local bookstores as much as possible, of course. And if they don't have it, they might order it in. So it's a win-win, win-win for Gilda's and win-win for, um, for the local bookstore. So, yeah. So I look forward to, uh, to, you know, keeping in touch over social media, hopefully. Oh, it'd be great to keep in touch. And lastly, what would be your take-home message for our listeners? I know you kind of mentioned a little bit, but what's the yeah. final? <laughs> yeah, take home. I mean, just be kind to yourself. Be kind to yourself. And that includes eating good food, <laughs> right? Be kind to yourself, be kind to others. Um, actually, it's so funny. Uh, my Usually day one of, 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 a, of my classes, mm-hmm. I have like, you know, my, the classroom rules. This is how my classroom runs. And I think it's number one or number two is don't be a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> Very important. Don't be, yeah, don't be a jerk to yourself. Don't be a jerk to the planet. Don't mm-hmm. be a jerk to animals. <laughs> and everybody wins. <laughs> be kind to everyone. Well, that's yeah, exactly. what we all exactly. aim to do. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Amy, for joining us and the Plant Based Canada podcast today. It was such a pleasure speaking with you. Oh my goodness, me too. It was so lovely to to chat with you and to meet you. And uh, yeah, I look forward to staying in touch. This episode was hosted by myself, Stephanie Nishi, and Clint Stamatovich was our audio engineer. This podcast featured royalty-free music from bensound.com. A very special thanks to our guest, Amy Symington, for speaking with us and sharing her insights. And of course, thank you for listening. The Plant-Based Canada podcast is an initiative of the group Plant-Based Canada, which aims to educate the public and health professionals on the evidence-based benefits of plant-based whole food nutrition for individual and planetary health. To learn more about the show, visit our website at www.plantbasedcanada.org and stay up to date by following us on Instagram and Facebook at plantbasedcanada.org. Until next time.